How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and this is Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And here we are with another great study. We're going to be diving into the Gospel of Luke again, and we are up to chapter 2. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, the Letter of Luke. And we're going to be going through this again slowly, just taking a look at what it says, just verse by verse, point by point. We're going to see uh, what's being said, how it's being said, and how we can apply it to ourselves for our learning. <clears throat> and in this one, we're going to also be taking a look at some of the different um, uh, prophecies about uh, about the Christ Messiah, and we're going to be seeing how it applies to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be diving into some of those things, taking a look at what it says. And seeing that what is true, what is not. Alright, so with this, uh, again, if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights regarding the study at hand, please by all means go ahead, ask away, be glad to hear from you. If your questions, topics, whatever are not related to the topic at hand, if you could just hold that to the end of the study or to the next broadcast, we want to try to limit our rabbit trailing and all of that kind of thing. We want to try to stay on, on point here because there's just so much information and it, and it takes a while to get through it. So I want to try to limit uh, our distractions. All right, so here we are. All right, and as you saw in the opening of this broadcast, there is one title card that I put up. I'll put it up again. This message is illegal. The gospel of Jesus Christ is illegal. That if you're a preacher of the gospel, if you're a born-again Christian and you stand upon the word of God, you are going to be hated, you're going to be persecuted, you're going to be oppressed, as we saw happen to all of the prophets of God, all the apostles of God, all the disciples of God, and even Jesus himself. So don't expect to be respected in a world where they crucified your Savior. So we're going to be taking a look at more of this, of this illegal message, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be doing this by Luke chapter 2. All right, so in chapter 1, <clears throat> we saw the introduction with the uh, introduction of Luke as a uh, as he's writing Theophilus and he, talking about who he's writing to and what this is going to be about as they are eyewitnesses of these things and so he's going to be giving a uh, as he has perfect understanding of these things by the Spirit of God he's going to be sharing uh, what he knows and what he's been shown and what has been revealed to him by the Lord to this man Theophilus to help him to have a better understanding of these things and then he goes into starting a bit beforehand about uh, the the overall work of the fulfillment of prophecy, including the herald of Christ, uh, the one who would proclaim in the Christ, the, the prophet as proclaimed by uh, Malachi, as the one that would come that would prepare the way for the Messiah. And that's, what, that's who John the Baptist is. And so we're seeing how John the Baptist came about and how the Lord brought him into the picture. And so we see by Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth with the birth of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is about six months older than Jesus. <clears throat> and then we see again how Gabriel went to Mary and proclaimed how she was chosen by God to fulfill this promise. 
And we saw the difference between the two of Zacharias and Mary in the acceptance of the message and their belief of faith and how it works. And we had some applications for ourselves with that as well. All right. <clears throat> now, at the, at the end of chapter 1, we see the work that John the Baptist was called to do. And that is in verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation. <clears throat> Excuse me. So our job here is to do the same thing. This is what all the prophets did all throughout the Old Testament. They brought in knowledge and understanding of the salvation of God, the righteousness of God, that to bring people to repentance towards the Lord and get themselves right with the Lord. That's the whole point. That's what the prophets were. They were Old Testament evangelists. The prophets were Old Testament evangelists. As this is what Elijah did. This is what Samuel did. This is Obadiah, Hosea. This is what Jonah even did. They were all evangelists and street preachers to bring people to the knowledge of salvation. And you saw how the world treated them. How the world treated them. And so we see even John the Baptist, again, doing the exact same thing. And the spirit and power of Elijah did the same message, the same calling. And how he was treated and how he was hated. And now we see where Jesus, the, the word which is God, God became flesh and dwelt among us. And what did he do? What did Jesus preach? the exact same message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. The Lord Jesus preached the exact same thing. Knowledge of salvation to bring people to, to the understanding of the remission of their sins. Again, the, Jesus preached the exact same message as John the Baptist as all the old pro prophets. Jesus preached the exact same message as the apostles. The apostles did the exact same thing as the Old Testament prophets and all the disciples all the way down to us. We preach the exact same message as always has been preached. We don't preach that all the things of the world. We aren't here to wage war of flesh, of physicality. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We preach that which we know which is the Word of God. Only the Word of God, only the, the power of the Gospel, only the knowledge of salvation by the power of the Spirit of God can bring change to people and change to hearts and minds and nations. As you see by Second Chronicles 7.14, that if the people would turn to the Lord and acknowledge the Lord and repent unto the Lord, the Lord will hear them and forgive them and save them and heal them. This is what the Lord says. And if you don't turn to the Lord as the Lord calls, as the Lord directs, then the Lord isn't going to hear you. So we are to bring people to this knowledge, this understanding. This is what it's all about. And this is why the world hates us. This is why the world persecutes us. But as Jesus said, blessed are ye when you're persecuted and hated for my sake, when they shall revile you falsely, accuse you falsely, blessed are you. So we preach the truth of Jesus Christ and the world hates it. The world opposes it because we are not of the world. And if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I've called you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That our message that we preach 
is absolutely diametrically opposed to this world. That it is 100% different. It is a complete different message than any other belief system of the world. Because ours is true. Our God is alive. That Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. And that our faith, our belief, has a 100% track record of all prophecies being fulfilled. Our message has been proven. Our message has been validated. Our message goes back to the beginning of time where God spoke and created all things. And the God who spoke and created all things came down to save all things. And this message that we preach is true. And this offends them as Jesus says, doth this offend you? So we're going to be seeing the fulfillment of this and how the Lord brought it to pass. And this is the message that we are to preach, to bring knowledge unto the people. So please grab your Bibles, notepads and pens, and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> and again, we're going to be going through this verse by verse, point by point. And if you see anything that you would like to talk about, bring it up. And again, if it's not related to the topic at hand, if you just hold that to the end of the study or to another broadcast, that'd be great. Okay. And grab your tea, grab your coffee. That's important too. Okay. <clears throat> now, for a bit of backup, uh, we're going to be seeing here as well. Now, where is the Christ Messiah going to be born? Can someone tell me? Can someone tell me? Where, according to scripture, was the Christ Messiah to be born? And, and, what is the passage of scripture that proves that? Where the Christ Messiah will be born? Can someone tell me? Can someone tell me? You see, <clears throat> we're quick to cite, you know, the dictations and the specific things of our faith. But we got to learn to know how to back it up scripturally. I would say, well, Jesus is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Where is that written as a, as a prophetic thing? Where is that proven in scripture? Where does it say that he's supposed to be that? That's how it's supposed to be. Somewhere in Isaiah? Nope. Nope. The prophet Micah. So please take your Bible, turn to the white pages of your Bible. That's the clean pages of your Bible, the passages of Scripture that are hardly ever, ever read. And the book of Micah, Jonah, Micah. And it's go to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. So this is hundreds of years before Jesus. And the prophet Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And if you break that down, that whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. That this one who's going to be born in Bethlehem is the... Now, 
uh, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting, that in Hebrew is also translated as the always existing one. The one who has always existed. God. So, God is going to come down. The always existing one. The one from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God. Has come down to Bethlehem. That he'll come out of Bethlehem. <clears throat> now, how? How will he come out of Bethlehem? How will this occur? How will this be put together? So, this is where you got to start pairing scripture with scripture. So, we got location. We got location, which is Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. If you're into underlining, highlighting, marking your Bible, please do that with Micah 5, 2. And, uh, Make sure to put a bookmark or something there and memorize these verses to know how to reference them next time this kind of a topic comes up so you know how to prove it. Okay, so Micah 5.2, underline, highlight, mark that one, circle the verse number of it or something, put a star by it or whatever so that you know uh, uh, that one needs to be memorized. Okay, so Micah 5.2, so that's location. Location. So let's go back to... <clears throat> Let's go back to Isaiah. Now, can someone tell me where in Isaiah, where in Isaiah is the first prophecy of how the Christ Messiah will come? Can someone tell me where in Isaiah is the first prophecy of how the Christ Messiah will come? The always existing one, the, the, the one from everlasting, who will be born in Bethlehem, who will come out of Bethlehem. How will he arrive? Where in Isaiah? You got to memorize these ones, folks. You got to memorize these ones. <clears throat> so in Isaiah, there's quite a few prophecies of the Christ Messiah. Uh, nine six is the second, is the second prophecy. The first one is Isaiah chapter seven verse fourteen. Isaiah chapter seven verse fourteen. So please turn back to chapter seven verse fourteen of Isaiah, and underline, highlight, circle, mark that verse. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold a virgin, and we'll touch on that one in just a moment. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. So a virgin will bear a son, give birth to a son who will be God with us. So like Micah 5.2 says, God will come out of Bethlehem. How? By a virgin. Virgin birth. Divine conception. She calls his name Emmanuel, God with us. So, let's just build on that one. <clears throat> we want to go over to Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Please turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 22. Jeremiah 31, verse 22. And in Jeremiah 31, verse 22... How long wilt thou go about, O thou backsliding daughter? For the Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. 
The Lord hath created a new thing in the earth. This has never been done before. This is brand new. 100% unique. One of a kind. A new thing. A woman shall compass a man. Bypass. Compass means to bypass. A woman will bypass a man. A virgin shall conceive. So this is more than just what some people try to say. Virgin just means young maid or young woman. No, 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 no. You pair it with Jeremiah 31, 22. This is actual virgin, virgin, a woman who's never known a man. She is 100% virgin. She has her virginity. And she has not known anyone. And divine conception that the Lord sparks the womb and creates life within her. And she gives birth to a son who is God with us. That's Jeremiah 31, 22. Okay, go back to Isaiah. Now, <clears throat> the second one in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. This again builds upon identity. So, Isaiah 7, 14 is, is the arrival of how the, the Christ Messiah will come. Isaiah 9, 6 is the identity. Micah 5, 2 is the location. So we have arrival, identity, location. So this is how the Old Testament builds it up. So Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah 9, 6. Please turn there. Underline, highlight, mark this verse. All of these ones that I'm mentioning, please make sure you underline, highlight, mark, or put a bookmark or something by them so you can memorize them and commit them to memory. So Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. She'll give birth to a son. Unto us a son is given, and the government, meaning all authority, ruleship, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, to have authority, ruleship of all things, and his name shall be called, his identity, Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God. You see that? You see this? It's capitalized. The Mighty God. Emmanuel, God with us, the one from everlasting, the always existing one, the always existing one, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the one from everlasting to everlasting, thou, thou art God, the Prince of Peace. This is what it says. You see that? So Isaiah 7.14, arrival. Isaiah 9.6, identity. Micah 5.2, location, and we have one more, a fourth. One more fourth, the work, the work, and that is Isaiah 53. Now, we're not going to read all of Isaiah 53, but, but uh, please put a bookmark there and give that a read. It talks about what he has come for. It, that, the, that God did not come down as the Messiah to wage war, to conquer the earth, to save Israel for the, from the Romans, or any of that kind of thing. He's come for what? Sin. To save his people from their sin. So that all the prophets specifically talk about this. And you want to pair Isaiah 53 with Psalm 22. With Psalm 22. Okay, I know there's a lot of references here, but please make sure you look them up. 
All right, so what we want is Isaiah 7.14, the arrival. Isaiah 9.6, the identity. Micah 5.2, the location. Isaiah 53, and Psalm 22, the work. So this is how you can actually preach the gospel from the Old Testament. You don't even need to touch the New Testament to be able to prove it. As, as a, in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So we see, even in the Old Testament, you can even preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, proving his divinity and salvation by grace. You can actually prove it by showing who he is and what he's come for. Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah 9.6, Micah 5.2, Isaiah 53, and Psalm 22. These five. Five is the number of what? Grace. So we see the, the by these five references, the number of grace, that you can actually preach the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Old Testament, that the prophets spoke of it. And there's a lot more than that, folks. There's a lot more. There are tons and tons and tons of Old Testament prophecies of the Christ Messiah, of who he is, what he's come for, and what he'll do and everything. It is incredible how chalked full the Old Testament is regarding the Christ Messiah. So again, one more time. If someone would be able to write these in the comments uh, as a compilation of all of these, that would be great. Just put all these references in the comment uh, just in one block. So you see Isaiah 7.14, the arrival. Isaiah 9.6, the identity. Micah 5.2, the location. Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, the work. That's what scripture shows. This is what it's about. And we're going to build on these in Luke chapter 2, in the introduction to Luke chapter 2. So again, folks, if you need help with those references, you want me to mention those again, just let me know. Okay, now let's go back to, okay, where in the world are we? Uh, so we want to go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to see the fulfillment of this. Now, the, there is one issue, though. There's one issue. And in, in the scriptures, we see that Joseph is living in Nazareth. Joseph is living in Nazareth. And he's espoused to marry. They're engaged to be married. And we see something, though, that... They're, they are currently in Nazareth. But the prophecies say that the Christ Messiah will be born in Bethlehem, not Nazareth. Not Nazareth. So, how's the Lord going to work this out? How is he going to get Joseph to take Mary to Bethlehem so that she, she will give birth in Bethlehem like the scriptures say? Because they're currently in Nazareth. Well, in chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, this is a, a, a form of taxation, a census taxation. And everybody whose lineage, family line, uh, where you're from, you need to go back to where you where you came from so they could see you know how many people are of what tribe in each area in each state of Israel uh, to be able to figure out what's going on and to know how to tax the, everything properly. So 
a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So, this is interesting. How it worked out. That so so we see it doesn't matter what we're doing, that when the Lord is going to do something, he's going to make it come to pass. How did the prophets hundreds and hundreds of years Isaiah was over seven hundred and fifty years before Jesus? Micah was hundreds of years before Jesus. How did they know that this is going to happen this way? That the timing of it all, what are the odds? What are the odds? Well, the odds are 100% because it was God's working. That God knows all things, sees all things, holds all things. He's uh, all sovereign of all things. He makes all things occur. Now we see Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. And if you actually go and take a look at the uh, lineages, the genealogies of Jesus and all this. Now, as it says that Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. What does that mean? A direct descendant. Direct descendant. That actually, if you uh, pair scripture with scripture, and you go from David to Jesus, a direct bloodline, a direct lineage, all the way to Jesus, that technically, according to the word of God, that if the actual king throne rulings of Israel was still in, still in place Joseph would actually be the rightful king of Israel believe it or not this is actually how how it comes to pass that Joseph as in the husband of Mary is the rightful king of Israel that when Joseph dies as Jesus is the eldest of the family, that when Joseph dies, the actual authority, kingship, rulership of Israel falls on Jesus. That Jesus actually is the rightful, reigning, ruling king of Israel. That always blows my mind. You see how the Lord worked that out. It's just incredible. So, because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David, a direct bloodline descendant of David. And it would fall on Jesus' head when Joseph dies, and Jesus actually inherits the throne of Israel. This is just incredible. All right, so to be so they go to Bethlehem, verse 5, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So Mary is coming close to the time of having to give birth to, to Jesus. And, and so you know the story. They get to Bethlehem, and they can't find a place, and they wind up in, in this uh, uh, little, little shack, this little shed, and we see the manger. And so it was... That while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And this is as Isaiah chapter 53 talks about. 
uh, he, how how he's lowly, and how he's not of not of greatness. Now let's actually take a look at Isaiah fifty three. Let's take a look at Isaiah fifty three. Read the first bit of it, anyways, as it all goes hand in hand here. <clears throat> Alright, uh, Isaiah 53, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. It talks about the lowliness and how he's... Not of greatness and great power and wealth and fame and notoriety. He's just a seeming nobody. He's just a seeming nobody. Well, even his birth was so lowly in a barn, basically. In a barn amongst the animals. And he, he was laid in a manger. That's a feeding trough. That's a feeding trough. The pictures, though, are absolutely immense. Absolutely immense when you think about it. What did what did Jesus say? I'm the bread of life. I'm the water of life. To drink of this water, to eat of this bread. And unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall have no life in you. And he was laid in a manger, a feeding trough. How it pairs together the pictures... Like we, we, we kind of separate the imagery. But the imagery goes hand in hand with the doctrine. That where is he when it's all being, uh, be, being fulfilled? You want to look at all the pictures, all the things. Every subtle detail has a, has a great meaning to it, folks. Look at this. And, he, and he, she brought forth her firstborn son, verse 7, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, a feeding trough. Because there's no room for them in the inn. How is it that when they got to Bethlehem, that everything was so full that the only place was this? Well, that's again the Lord's working it out. This is what how the Lord wanted it to be. Now the Lord, his eye is on every detail. This is why we need not worry or fear. Like, could you imagine, okay, from a fleshly standpoint, put yourself in the shoes of Joseph and Mary, that they that they finally get to Bethlehem. Mary is about to give birth. They're starting to get a little panicky because they can't find anywhere. And every hotel, every motel, every inn, every place, every bed and breakfast is completely uh, chocked full. There's nowhere to go. And she's about to give birth. You're going to start to panic. You're going to be worrying and fretting and fearful. And But again, the Lord's hand is upon this because this is how the Lord decreed it to be. This is why you shouldn't worry. Trust the Lord that he'll work it out. She brought forth a firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there's no room for them in the inn. There's no room. What are the odds? A hundred percent because it's the Lord's doing. And now we switch switch pictures here. So we're, we're looking at Joseph and Mary and the birth of Jesus. 
And there he is, wrapped in swaddling clothes, wrapped up in the in the birthing cloth, and he's they've laid him in the manger, his first crib. And then we, we shift focus here. Now we're looking at something else. Okay, we're looking at something else. And while this was going on, verse 8, they're in the same country, shepherds. What are the odds? Because again, if you go back down through Scripture, what does the Lord consistently refer to himself as? A shepherd. Who are the saints consistently referred to as sheep? Psalm 23, we see in Ezekiel as well, the Lord says, I am the shepherd, you're my sheep, my sheep, my sheep, my sheep, my flock, my flock, my sheep, I am the shepherd. Jesus calls us out, I am the good shepherd. David was a shepherd. And Joseph is of the lineage of David. And it just so happens that for the first witnesses the first witnesses of the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Christ Messiah com uh, coming coming to earth who are the first that get to see this lowly lowly shepherds lowly shepherds the Lord has a soft spot for shepherds and lo the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And what did the angel do? The angel of God say, The angel of the Lord said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Because again, the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ, is the Savior for all the world, because God so loved the world all people. His salvation shall also come upon the Gentiles. That the Lord does not limit. He does not discriminate. The Lord's salvation is unto all and any that would believe. Which shall be to all people. He is the atonement of our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Which is Christ the Lord. The Christ Messiah has come. The Christ Messiah has come. Could you imagine? Okay, now just put yourself there. Okay, you're a shepherd. And you're sitting around the bonfire. You're with your other friends, your other shepherd friends. And you're sitting there. It's a quiet night. It's a starry sky. The sheep are all around you. And you're just, you know, doing your own thing. Mind your business. You're just sitting by the fire. You may be, you know, talking. And, and all of a sudden, just boom. This light. And it startles you. You look and there's an angel of God in the sky right there saying this to you. For unto you is born this day in the city in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And these angels are telling you that Christ Messiah has finally come. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Something very, very, very specific. And suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, a multitude upon multitude. This is an innumerable number of angels. Suddenly just appear in the sky with this angel and they all start praising God, singing and rejoicing. 
saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass the angels were gone away, and then it just went, gone, just silent again. You'd be kind of stunned for a bit. Use your sanctified imagination. Picture that. And then you're kind of, kind of start kind of looking at each other like, did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Did you hear what they said? Yeah, I heard. No, what did he? What did you hear? And then you say, okay, well, this is what I heard. And you say, this actually happened. This is an actual thing. We all saw it. And uh, what would you do? And it came to pass, as the angels are gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they realized, this is a message from God. A message from God, that God fulfilled His promise. God fulfilled His promise. God is declaring it unto these ones. As God favors the work of the shepherds. And he speaks to these low, lowly ones. That the angels did not appear to the kings. The angels did not appear to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests and the high priest and the Sanhedrin. The, the angels did not appear to the rich and the mighty. That the Lord speaks to the lowly. He chooses the weak things, the base things of the world to confound the wise. The low, of the lowly and meek of heart. And these shepherds were spoken to and called. And now these shepherds now go. The shepherds go and learn and the shepherds speak. What are pastors also called? What is Revelation called the, uh, called the pastors of the churches? What the, the, throughout the New Testament was it called the pastors and the teachers of churches? Shepherds of the church. What is Christ referred to as the shepherd and we're the flock? Do you see the pictures? you see the correlations? And Erlen says, Do you hear what I hear? said the shepherd boy. I think that's what this song came from. That's right. That, that song came from this. That's right. And see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste. Now, I, I, I really like how, for example, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, the, 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 the new series called The Chosen, which is all about the life of Christ and specifically about those that Christ has called, about the disciples and all of them. And the very first episode, which is like a 20-minute special a Christmas episode, is about, about just this, about Joseph and Mary and giving birth to Jesus and about the shepherds specifically. It's all about the shepherds. And how they came with haste. At that first, they were stunned. Then they just started laughing. They started laughing with excitement. And they just took off running. They just booking it to Bethlehem. And they wanted to see this thing. And they came with haste. They, that means they didn't wait around at all. They ran. They ran and they didn't delay. And they ran all the way to Bethlehem. And they found Mary and Joseph. So they'd be running all over Bethlehem. Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Stirring everything up. The shepherds stir everything up. And they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And they found them. 
just like the Lord had said. They found the promise. And when the Lord speaks, He speaks with truth. He speaks in righteousness. He speaks that which we know. That which is justified, verified, validated. That which is true. That which is eternal. When the Lord says something, that's what it is. That we may not always understand all the details, but it is as He said. That if He said it, that's what it is. He made known the truth. And we search it out. When the Lord speaks a truth. We search it out. As the Bereans, Acts 17, 11. We search it out. Pairing scripture with scripture. Rightly dividing the word of truth. We seek it out. The Lord said this. And we see it. And it's true. Because scripture says it. Scripture backs it up. That, this, uh, that we as the shepherds. Seek out the truth of scripture. We go door to door. Passage to passage. Finding the truth. Putting all the pieces together. And they, they found. They found it to be so. They found it to be so. And what did they do? When they discovered the truth. When they found it out. When they saw that this is exactly as the Lord says. That this is what the doctrine is. This is what the theology is. This is what the teaching is. What do they do? Just keep it to themselves and, and mind their business? Hold themselves up in a building and hide somewhere? What do they do? Verse 17. Someone tell me. Someone tell me in the comments. Verse 17. What did the shepherds do when they found Christ, as God had said? What did they do? What did Christ tell his disciples to do in the Great Commission? What does God, all down through the Old Testament and the New Testament, tell his shepherds to do? What are the shepherds supposed to do? What are the shepherds of the gospel of Jesus Christ supposed to do? The guardians of the gospel, the proclaimers of the truth. Verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying. What does that mean? They went everywhere and told everyone. They went everywhere and told everyone. They made known abroad. That means a general sweeping. They just went through everywhere, telling everyone that the Christ Messiah had come. So, we see how the people all throughout the hill country of Judea told everyone that John the Baptist had come that the pro that the the prophecy of Malachi of the herald of the Christ had finally come that everyone had heard that this one had come now the now the shepherds are telling everyone that the Christ Messiah had come so you see so you're seeing something here would you say, would you agree with me in saying that the people of Israel then would be without excuse? Because everyone has been given an opportunity at some point or other that they have been shown that God is true, that his prophecies are being fulfilled, that his word is true, and that, that salvation has come. Would you agree that all have been called, all have been told, all have been given an opportunity? that they are without excuse? 
because you see it being fulfilled. That they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. They told everybody Jesus has come. The Christ Messiah has arrived. The Lord showed it. The Lord spoke to us. The Lord revealed it. And we found it to be so. This is who he is. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And all they which heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. They were all told. They were all shown. So nobody is without excuse. Verse 19, verse 19. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. As uh, from the very first moment when Gabriel appeared to her, she, she started compiling, compiling, compiling all the things. She, uh, she took note. She, she wrote it upon her heart, wrote it upon her mind, and saw how all these things were fulfilled. How it just started working out. How the Lord fulfilled it all. And she pondered them. That means to wonder about, to mull on, to think on, to meditate upon. All these things that, that occurred as it was told her it would happen. Verse 20, And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. And they glorified and rejoiced in this work, this calling of the Lord, that, that, that they were honored by the Lord, chosen by God. And they saw it to be so, and they went and spoke it and showed it to, uh, to others, and they rejoiced in this work. This simple, 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 humble calling. That they were a nobody. They were a nobody. No, we're not even told their names. They didn't make themselves as some great ones. They didn't seek notoriety. They didn't go around begging for money with PayPal me links and cash me link apps in their bio and making themselves big fans of the most holy prophet, apostle, shepherd, so-and-so. They didn't care about any of that. They, they just All they cared about was that people heard about Jesus and that's all they cared about. To go into all the world and preach the gospel. And they did. They went preaching gospel everywhere that they could. They fulfilled the work. And they glorified God, praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. The work of the shepherds. Verse 21. And when eight days were accomplished, so eight days after this, eight days after this were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Just as they were told, they obeyed the word. As Gabriel said, his name will be Jesus. They called him Jesus. Zacharias was told, you will have a son. His name will be John. His name was John. Names are important. Names are important. And he was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, I, I just want to just interject here just for a moment. So please bear with me. Now, I, it, I, this is just a thing, of, th thing that I find is just bewildering. You see a lot of people... Now, please don't take offense to this. Don't put words in my mouth, and please don't get offended by this. It, but I, I personally don't understand what the issue is, why there are so many uh, professed Christians who refuse to use the name Jesus. 
where they have to say Yeshua or, or some other Hebrew variation of it and they will not say Jesus. Now, the Bible says Jesus. Well, there wasn't a J in the original Hebrew. God is the God of all languages. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But this sacred name theology is what it's called. It's called the sacred name theology, which is a mystic practice brought out by certain people who believe that original Hebrew has more special meaning and is more mystical and we should use Hebrew because it, that's a bunch of nonsense. It's a bunch of utter nonsense. It doesn't matter if it's Hebrew, Latin, Greek, Russian, Chinese, English. It doesn't matter. You could use whatever language you want. But if you think that using the original Hebrew or using the original Greek is more mystically special and more sacred somehow than English, then you've been deceived. You've been deceived. His name is Jesus. According to the English language, as written in, in, in our Bibles, his name is Jesus. Yes, I know that it, it's pronounced differently in Hebrew. Well, that's Hebrew. But that doesn't make it any more different or any more special, however you say it. Now, you can use whatever language you want. But just do not be deceived by thinking that there's some special sacred power in other languages. There isn't. That's actually Roman Catholic mysticism, where they would say you have to speak the scriptures in only Holy Latin. Yeah, that's a bunch of nonsense. So don't be deceived by that, please. And as we see in the scriptures, his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, this is finally when she was healed up from you know, the birthing process and all this, and they were going to take Jesus to the temple for the, uh, for the consecration, for the purification. When the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, why? Well, this is according to... Uh, the Jewish law as handed down by the protocols, verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. There's a special protocol process and all this, which is done uh, for the for the males that are that are born. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of two, uh, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Verse 25. Now here we see again something else really interesting happening. Now check this out. Verse 25. And behold, there was a, ma a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's the consolation of Israel? Keep reading. And the Holy Ghost was upon him, and it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So this man was a prophet of God, an old man uh, who hung out in the temple and stayed in the temple and worshipped the Lord. And, and the Holy Ghost told him, the Holy Ghost told him that you will not die until you see the Messiah. Now, we're not told how old he was. Could he have been 30, 40, 60, 80, 100? doesn't say. But he was w waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now the thing, an individual like this would be well known. 
Put yourself there. Set yourself, use your sanctified imagination, set yourself there. You're standing in the temple grounds and there's this old man, a prophet of God, that is well known. And it's well known that the Lord had spoken to him. It's well known that he's that the Lord told him that you will not die until you see the Messiah. Alright? Think of this. You can put all those pieces together, all those clues. Look at this. And this man, Simeon, uh, the Holy Ghost said that he would not die till he had seen the Lord's Christ, till he had seen the Messiah. And he came by the Spirit. That means the Spirit of God drew him, pulled him. He felt compelled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, and he walked into the temple just as Joseph and Mary were coming in. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, that Simeon came over to Joseph and Mary. He, he saw them. How did he know who Joseph and Mary were? That of all the people, the crowd of people in the temple grounds, he just happened to see Joseph and Mary and he knew exactly who they were. How's that possible? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God gave him clarity and understanding. Gave him that divine understanding that he knew who they were. He knew who this child was in Mary's arms. And Simeon walks over to Joseph and Mary. And Simeon, the prophet of God, who has this promise of God, you will not die until you see the Messiah. And he took him up in his arms. And, and Simeon came over to Mary and says, Can I hold him? Can I please hold him? And Mary looks at Simeon and hands Jesus to Simeon. And this old man holding the Messiah Christ. God told him, you will not die until you see the Messiah. Here he is. How the Lord's promises can be so many. He promises this one something. He promises this one something. He promises this one something. He promises this. And how the Lord causes it all to intertwine. And all to flow together. How does, how does the Lord do that? He's God. The, the sheer multitude of promises. And they all flow together. Flawlessly. Just like the books of the Bible, that there's 66 books of the Bible written by, by over 40 different authors over a span of 1,600 years, and every book of the Bible flows together, dovetails together flawlessly, without contradiction. Look at this, 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 this old man promised by God the Lord gave him a blessing because of his service. That those who honor me, I will honor. What could be more honorable? God did not promise Simeon great power and wisdom like Solomon. God didn't promise Simeon a reigning throne of Israel like David. We are not told of any great miracles that happened by Simeon like Elijah or Moses. He wasn't promised great notoriety like, ma like many of the others, like Elijah, for example, or Abraham. 
He didn't do a great work like like Jonah going to Nineveh and leading all of Nineveh to the Lord or Daniel in Babylon. Simeon was just promised, you will see the Christ. And to Simeon, that was the greatest blessing, the greatest honor. Could you imagine? Riches, power, notoriety, fame, and miracles looking upon the face of Jesus. That's all. And to Simeon, this is the most blessed, holy, sacred, special thing. And that should be for us too. That just to serve the Lord, just for the glory of Jesus, just for the face of Christ. That's all. Something so humble, so special, so simple like this. And Simeon saw it. He looked upon the face of Jesus. He took him in his arms. He took Jesus into his arms. Do we take Jesus into our arms? Or our or are our arms full of other stuff? Worries and fear and baggage of our own. Let everything go. Embrace Christ. Empty hands. How can we carry the cross of Christ if our hands are full of other things? Dump it all. Cast your care upon him for he careth for you. And embrace Christ. To take Christ into our arms. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. I can die in peace, to die to self. I can now be at peace. Thou will keep him in perfect peace. His mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. He trusted in the word of God and that he's in peace because he saw the fulfillment of the promise. Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. As you say, Lord, what did Mary say? Be it unto me according to thy word. What did Simeon say? Be it unto me according to thy word. The same cry. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Simeon called baby Jesus salvation. That this little one is Isaiah 53. This little one is Isaiah 714, Isaiah 96, Isaiah 53, Jeremiah 31:22. This is the Messiah, the Christ, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the wonderful, the counselor, the Prince of Peace, the one whose ways have been of old, even of everlasting. This is Emmanuel. This is God with us. Acts 20, 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. God became flesh and dwelt among us. The word which is God became flesh and dwelt among us. This is him. This is him. Now, again, don't forget, don't forget. Where are they currently? What's going on? What's going on? Where are they? They are in the temple. Are they the only ones in the temple? You see, so many people read these passages and they don't picture the full picture. Where are they? They're in the temple. Are they all alone? No. There's a crowd. This is this is the this is the main worship time. There's crowds of people all around them. 
You got the priests. You got the high priests. You got all the worshipers. Other people driving in. Other people uh, coming and going. They're, they're surrounded by people. And this is and what is the temple made of? Stone. So you have a sto the stone walkway that you know the patio which is all made of stone, the stone wall, stone building. Voices echo. Voices echo. And Simeon's not whispering. Check this out. What does he say? He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. Everybody knows who Simeon is. He's a prophet of God. And the prophet of God is saying salvation has come. And everyone knows who he, who he is. And now he's saying, Lord, let me die in peace. Which thou hast prepared before the face of all people to to light a light to lighten the Gentiles, the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. He says to Mary, a sword will pierce your soul. A sword will pierce your heart. What's he referring to? She will witness Jesus' death. She will witness Jesus' death. What could be more piercing to the heart than a mother watching their child die? That Mary will be there. She will see it. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts shall be revealed. And now, something's happened. Okay, let's build this up. Let's build it up. I'm getting excited. Let's build this up. We see the temple, the temple ground, Simeon, everyone knows, and the crowd all around, that Simeon drew the attention of someone else. Simeon drew the attention of someone else. Someone else shows up. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Aser. She was of great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about four, four score, four years, 84 years a widow. So she's, actually, if you put it together, she's probably close to 100 years old. Close to 100 years old, which... Uh, Okay, uh, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fasting and prayers night and days. She lived in the temple. All right? This old widow prophetess who lived in the temple, well known by everyone, that she's a common daily sight. Everyone's seen her. Everyone knows her. She lives in the temple. And she coming in, in that instant, in that instant, as Simeon was just wrapping up his prophecies of what's going on and his blessings, it drew her attention. She comes running over, too. Did you see this old lady come running over, hobbling over, running over? Because there's the Christ! And she, was, and she and coming in that instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake of him, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption. And she went everywhere telling everyone that Christ had come. You see this. You see the movies doing injustice. The common preachings of the arrival of the Christ Messiah do an injustice. 
that it's always portrayed as almost like it's a secret thing, that no one knows what's going on, that only a little handful of people, just this couple shepherds, a couple people here, a couple people there. But look, it's a broad public declaration. The shepherds went everywhere. The people went everywhere declaring John has come. The shepherds went everywhere declaring Jesus had come. Simeon is bellowing it out. Anna's now, this old lady is hobbling everywhere telling everyone that Christ has come. Yeah, Granny can run. Exactly. Exactly. So we see she's running everywhere telling everyone that Christ has come. They are without excuse. Israel is without excuse. She spake of him, she spake of Jesus to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. All those who loved the Lord, all those whose hearts were softened to God, that the truth of the gospel was preached unto those who have ears to hear. You see this? That all of Israel... All of Israel has heard that the, the prophet had come, the herald of the Christ, and the Christ has come. You see this. They've all heard. This is a big thing. Could you imagine in the temple the stirring that day of all the religious, all the people coming. Now the, the, the prophet Simeon and prophetess Anna, these old folks that well known by people are going telling everybody that the Christ had come. Imagine the stirring that day. You imagine get, getting home and you go to the temple to do the sacrifices, to do your devotions and you get home and say, you wouldn't believe what happened in the temple today. Then you hear, then you see word of mouth starts spreading. It starts spreading more and more. More people start hearing that the prophets of the temples, that everyone knows, are saying this, that this has happened. This is who, this child named Jesus, this, this child named Jesus, one named Jesus. The name of Jesus is well known. Verse 39. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. And it was all wrapped up as it was declared. What do the scriptures say? It will be declared. It will be known. God doesn't hide his promises. That the promises of God aren't a private thing. They're, that God's promises are public declarations. Public declarations. It is well known that God calls all, draws all, loves all, is not willing that any should perish, that the promises of God are given from the moment of Christ's birth. We see the, that we see the Lord declaring it, declaring it from the sky by the angels. That wasn't a private, secret, hidden thing. The angels weren't whispering. The, the light of the angels just illuminated the sky. They, they proclaimed, bellowing out the truth of God. And the shepherds running all throughout Bethlehem. Big commotion, stirring it up. And then we see in, in the other gospel about the wise men. Even coming to Jerusalem, going to King Herod, and the wise men stirring everything up. Where's this king of kings? Where's the Christ? And the wise men go to Bethlehem, and they fall down and worship him. That all of Israel knows God fulfilled his promise. All of Israel knows 
All of Israel is without excuse. All the world is without excuse. God doesn't hide. God doesn't hide. And we see it wrapped up here. Verse 39, When they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee. So they left Bethlehem to go to Jerusalem for, for the uh, circumcision and to finish everything up according to the law. And they headed back to Nazareth. As the scriptures say. As the scriptures say. Alright. So, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And every year they would, they would gather together in a caravan. A bunch of people would gather together and they would head down to Jerusalem for the Passover. This is a, a common tradition, a thing that they would hold. The, the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old. Now we see a skipping of time here. We're not told about much about the about the life of Jesus before his ministry. But there's a lot of people who bring in things like the lost years of Jesus. There's a bunch of nonsense. Where Jesus is a child. Uh, he worked miracles. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Well, how could you say that? Because the Bible flat out says it. It says that, the, that Jesus at the wedding of Cana turning water to wine was the first of miracles. And then the healing of the nobleman's, of the nobleman's child uh, was the second miracle. Now, Jesus did not work miracles as a child. Now his parents uh, go to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Verse 42, And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. You see, with this, we can, we can see an also an application here of something interesting. Like the Israelites coming out of Egypt, they witnessed all of the miracles of God with Moses upon Egypt. They were there at the crossing of the Red Sea. They saw God himself leading them by the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. That they finally got to Sinai. They actually heard the audible voice of God, which terrified them. So they just appointed Moses to go by himself into the mountain so that they wouldn't die in fear because of the voice of God. And when, what did they do? They grew in apathy. After 40 days, they fell into great apathy and, and created the golden calf. Now, we see it as a common theme throughout the scriptures. Fervency, zealousness, and the power of experiences dies out. That the, that the heat will cool after a while. The fire starts to dim. The coals start to cool. Now, they, they, that Joseph and Mary aren't really paying attention to Jesus. They don't know where he is. They don't know what's going on. That they've lost sight. They've lost sight of Jesus. They didn't know where he was or what he was doing. They weren't paying attention. And where where was Jesus? What does it say? And Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph's mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. They went a full day journey without paying any attention to Jesus. And they, they didn't even cross their minds until... 
At four days' journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance, and they found him not. They found him not. How is it that we could be on, uh, on fire for the Lord, so zealous for the Lord, love the Lord so much, and talk about him all the time, and, and we can be of such apathy sometimes that we could just forget and go a full day without reading our Bibles and praying, talking to the Lord, studying his word without witnessing how we could be so apathetic sometimes. You see that? You see that? And we'll see something that, that Jesus actually calls them out on this. Look at this. They found him not. So what did they do when they, when they found that they had strayed? They had strayed and their eyes weren't on Christ. They, they turned back. They repented. That's repenting on the road. That means to turn your back on what you're do, currently doing and going the other way. They turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, three days, uh, and yes, like you put, like you put in Ireland, uh, any parent's worst nightmare. But here's the thing, though. It should be a nightmare for us. That should be a nightmare for us. Neglecting the Lord. Neglecting the Lord. If if we would only care about our relationship with the Lord like we would our own children, with our own family members, that we, we would be terrified of losing relationship, losing closeness, losing sight of the Lord. If only we would treat the Lord like the way we treat our family and our loved ones. They supposed him to have been in the company. They assumed. They made presumptions, assumptions. They perceived uh, by their own feelings. Their feelings, their opinions, their, per their personal ideologies. They believed him to be in the company. But they were completely wrong. They didn't check it to be so. They didn't verify it. They didn't examine it. So they turned back to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, sometimes, sometimes a heaviness, a problem, a trouble can last a while. Can last a while. And we can look for him in all the wrong places. You see, they could have found him easily. They only went a day's journey, but it took them three days to find him. And where was he? Where was he? In the temple. He wasn't in the market. He wasn't at the doctor's office. He wasn't in the alleyways. He wasn't in a stranger's house. He was in the temple. He was in where you would find the Lord. And how come so many times we go looking in the wrong places? We go looking at experiences. We go looking at the supernatural. We go looking at the feelings. We go looking at that other books and other catechisms, other creeds and other rituals and other traditions and other things. We go seeking things in our emotions. But if we would just return to where we're supposed to be, we return to the Lord. We return to the Lord, to the face of God. Like Simeon, running and embracing Christ. Stop trying to figure it out yourself. Just drop to your knees and turn to the Lord and ask Him to forgive you and embrace Him like you're supposed to. 
Stop running, stop worrying, stop fretting, stop fearing, stop looking, stop wandering. Stop wandering. Make a beeline for the temple. What? Know ye not? Ye are the temple of God which is in you. You're not your own. He's closer to you. And we go wandering, looking for him when he's closer than we could ever imagine. He's right within us. Drop to your knees. Stop wandering. They finally found him after three days. They finally found him in the temple. Sitting in the midst of the doctors. Jesus isn't worried. Jesus isn't worried. He's doing what's supposed to be done. Sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. Oh, well, I wonder why. <laughs> and there he is, sitting in the temple, doing what he's supposed to be doing. And what are we doing? Running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Worrying and fretting and fearing. Is it possible? Is it possible? Now this is just me imagining. This is just my own imagination. But you see Jesus sitting in the temple with all the doctors and the Pharisees and all them around. And Jesus, even at 12 years old, is still blowing their minds. He's sitting there. Do you think it's possible? Just think about it. Do you think it's possible that as he's sitting there in the temple... I, up the steps of the temple, sitting up there. Do you think it's possible that he could be looking down and seeing Joseph and Mary running all over the place, looking for him? He's sitting there, watching. You think it's possible? He could have seen them running everywhere, freaking out? Yeah. The Lord sees us running everywhere, freaking out. Wandering from place to place, from thing to thing, worrying and fretting and fearing and stressing and caring and doubting. If they had just stayed with him, kept their eyes on him from the beginning, these issues wouldn't have happened. Sheep going astray. That's exactly right. And here's the thing. Think now the mindset of Joseph and Mary. The mindset. Great fear. Worry. Parental fear. The fear of a mother losing her child. She forgot the prophecies of Simeon. She forgot the promises. What, did she think something bad? That Jesus might die or something bad would happen to him? But that's not what she was told. She forgot what was told her? How could she have forgotten? How do we forget? We're children of the Most High. Sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Servants of the Lord. Sealed by the Spirit of God, held in the hand of the Father, Christ standing by our side, surrounded by a host of angels, our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, with eternal life, we're going to live with the Lord forever. How do we forget? How, how can we forget? How do we become so neglecting of God, so, uh, so forgetful, so apathetic, so fearful all the time? 
How do we forget the promises of God and allow the circumstances of the world to flood into our minds and cause us to be in a tizzy of fear and worry? We're running from place to place looking for hope and peace and promises when it's sitting right there watching us all the time and wondering why you just won't look up. Why you just won't look up. Here we see something else. As so many Christians do. So many Christians and so many other people who wrongly think in this manner. Look what look what Mary says. Okay, think about it just for a moment. Twelve years prior, Mary is in her house doing her own thing and Gabriel appears right, <laughs> right in the kitchen and tells her all the promises and how the Lord's chosen her and, and how she in, in full faith says, let it be to thy servant according to thy word. It fully accepts it, and we see the fulfillment, and she gives birth to Jesus and the shepherds and all the stuff going on. Twelve years later. Son, why hast thou dealt so with us? Why did you do this to us? Whoa. She blames Jesus of making a mistake, of being unfair, of Jesus doing something wrong, of Jesus Jesus mistreating them? Hold up. She blames God? Stick that in your theological pipe and smoke it for a minute. Meditate on that. God no longer cares about me. God doesn't love me. God's not hearing me. He won't answer my prayers. And it seems God's abandoned me. God doesn't love me anymore. Maybe I'm not saved because I don't feel. I don't feel. I haven't seen. I haven't experienced. I haven't done. And and, and, and prayers aren't answered. And going to church, I don't feel anything. And, and I read my Bible, I don't really get anything. Why, Lord, why are you dealing so with me? Hmm. Why hast thou dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And we've been grieving and crying and sorrowing. Oh, why isn't God with us? Why isn't he helping us? Why, why is it so hard to find him? What does Jesus say? Twelve-year-old Jesus. God. What does he say? Does he apologize? No. God never apologizes. God never does anything wrong. What did, what did Jesus say, verse 49? How is it that you sought me? How were you looking for me? How were you looking for me? In what manner were you looking for me? How did you, how did you go about looking for me again? Wist ye not, did you not know? that? Uh, do you not remember... That I must be about my father's business? How were you looking for me? You didn't know that? You forgot that I'm doing God's business? Why didn't you come to the temple? To see the work of God. To hear the work of God. Why did, you, why did it take you so long to get back to the Lord? Why did it take you so long to get to the temple? 
Why did it take you so long to get back to church, to get back to your Bible, to get back to prayer, to get back to fasting, to get back to repentance, to get back to the right knowledge of the Lord? Why did it take you so long to get things right? If you didn't just be lined to Christ, it wouldn't have taken you three days to find me. See this? But Mary blames Jesus. Jesus blames Mary. Don't you dare blame God. Don't you ever blame God. Don't ever think that, think that God is mistreating you. They forgot Christ. They left off their first love. They slacked. They backslided. They became apathetic. They fell away. They lost sight. They strayed. They should have stayed with him. But they demanded that Christ follow them, not they follow Christ. They got it backwards. God doesn't follow you. God doesn't follow you. You follow him. Then if God says, wait, yes, I know we're done here and we got to get back to Nazareth, but I need to make a detour to the temple here. That if they had stayed with him, they would have been with him in the temple. They would have been there to see this great blessing. They would have seen, but they lost blessings because of their apathy. You see that? Side track, side trail, rabbit trail. This, is, this also proves that Mary wasn't sinless because she sinned. She lost sight, became apathetic, and she blamed Jesus of making a mistake right there. That proves Alright, so Jesus says, how is it that ye sought me? Underline that, highlight that, circle that, mark that right there. Apply that to yourself personally. How are you keeping your eyes on Christ? How are you seeking him? How are you following? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Have you lost sight of what the whole point and purpose of the work is supposed to be? Have you forgotten the promises and the prophecies and the fulfillments and the great blessings that have come before. Have you forgotten the, the, to remember how the Lord has helped you before? How he's answered your prayers? How he's helped you, protected you, provided for you, guided you, and blessed you all down the, through now? And you're wallowing in misery now because God's not helping you right now, but you're not cheering yourself up by the remembrance of how God has helped you before? How is it that you sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Verse 50, And they understood not the saying. They didn't get it. They didn't get the point that Jesus made there. How? How could they have not have gotten that? How could they not have seen it? And the Lord corrects us. We don't always get it. We're not the brightest of people. Sometimes. And the Lord, the Lord speaks to us and tries to correct us, tries to show us something, and we're just too thick-headed. We just don't get it, because so much of life and worry and fear and fretting just bogs down our reasoning, and, and our minds are so full of other things that we just don't have space sometimes on our hard drive to be able to keep in mind, keep in remembrance those things the Lord says. We need to clear out the bookshelf cast away the cares and fears and worries and the and the busyness of life simplify it 
simplify it by grace and faith. They understood not the saying which he spoke to them, and he went down with them. But the mercy here, the mercy and the grace is the Lord knows. The Lord knows. Jesus knew. Jesus understood. But what is the, what did the Lord promise? I will never leave you nor forsake you. We leave and forsake him. He's where he's always supposed to be, and we wander, we stray. He draws us back, he helps us, he guides us, and he instructs us, and sometimes we may not get it. Sometimes we just may not get it. But the promise of the Lord is he will abide with us. And he went down with them, and came with them to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. He lived with them, and he listened. He grew up. He, he honored them as his parents. We are his family. We are his family. Do we live with Jesus? Think about that. Does Jesus live in your home? Do you have a space for Jesus? Does he live with you? If ye abide in me and my word abides in you, do we abide with him? Does he live with us? Do we go about our day and our entertainment and our lifestyles and our, our hobbies and go about our business like as if Jesus is sitting on the couch watching and listening? He's standing in the kitchen watching you do your thing. He's, he's observing what you're watching on television and how you talk and converse and your phone calls and your work. He goes with you to your job. Jesus was a carpenter and went with Joseph to work. Is, does he go with you in your car and listen to what you listen to? Does he Is he working with you at your job? Think about it. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. But yet, even though Mary did not understand at the moment what Jesus was referring to there, she still, she still listened to it. She didn't dismiss it. Many because they don't get it, dismiss it. But what we're called to do is, even though you may not understand it, still accept it. Listen to it. Hide it up in your heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. She kept it in her heart, meditated on these things, pondered these things, wondered about these things, thought on these things. She wanted to learn. She wanted to learn. She wanted to learn. She kept all these sayings in her heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart. There's another lesson from Mary that we can get. Because many times we're like Mary. As we can lose sight. Even though we love with such a love, we still lose sight and we can forget. But keep all these sayings in your heart. To remember these things. To draw up the scriptures. The Holy Spirit will help you. Will teach you. Will cause you to be in remembrance of those things which Christ has said. He'll cause you to remember the word of God. If you hide it in your heart. Kept all these sayings in our heart. In verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom. And stature. And in favor with God and man. And as he grew. People started taking notice of something. Something different about him. Jesus never sinned. He never disobeyed his parents. He never said or did anything wrong. 
Would that stand out? Think about it. Because Jesus had other brothers and sisters. But after Jesus was born, Mary had other children. Jesus had other brothers and sisters. Now, these other children, born of Joseph and Mary, had sin. Jesus did not. Do you not think that that would cause Jesus to kind of stand out a bit? That he never, ever, ever, ever once said or did anything wrong. He never, ever, ever, ever sinned. Because there's no sin in him. In him was no sin. He did no sin. He knew no sin. Everything he spoke was truth and honor and just. He always did what he was told. He never disobeyed. He never rebelled. He never got. He never misbehaved. He never did anything wrong. Would that cause him to stand out? That that other people would find favor with him because they would like him because he's truthful and honest and sincere and he can be trusted. That he would do as he was told. Other people would notice this. There's a lesson there. There's a lesson there for us. Because we are called to be Christ-like. To be perfect as he is perfect. To be holy as he is holy. To set, us, uh, to set ourselves apart. To be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. To be blameless, as scripture calls us to be. To strive to be Christ-like. Strive for the mastery of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. To work at, to fight for, to purpose in our hearts, to determine in ourselves, to walk in honesty and in favor with God in all Christ-likeness in all things. That in everything that you do, even in eating and drinking, dwell to the glory of God. To live as if Jesus is physically standing at your side right now. If he was, how would that change your life? If Jesus was physically standing right beside you, walking with you, working with you, everywhere you went, in everything that you do, how would that change your life? Why aren't you living like that right now? Because he is standing by your side. His spirit is literally inside of you. That we, as servants of God, as children of God, are supposed to be drawing people unto the Lord because of our behavior. 1 Peter 3.15 That our works would reflect the righteousness of God. Our speech would be salted with grace. Our behavior, our very speaking and working and thinking, the steps of a righteous man ordered by the Lord and delights in his way. We are supposed to be like that. Blameless. To walk, talk, think, speak, work. As if Jesus is literally standing beside us. Think about that. The promises of God. Because what does the Lord say will happen if we do that? What does God promise? Those honor me, I'll honor. If ye, if ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. That if we would forsake all, pick up a cross and follow him, we'd be disciples of Christ and he'd work with us, confirming the word with signs following. The Lord would bless and help and guide and guard in all things. If we would only take the faith seriously. 
Think about it. That's all. Consider that. To be like Mary. Take these things up in your heart and ponder on it. Think about these things. Are you like Joseph? Are you like Mary? Wandering around, trying to figure out where Jesus is? Trying to figure out where he could be and what and where and how? And instead of just looking up and going directly where you know he is. Stop looking for him in other places. Go to the temple. Go to the temple. Live in the temple. Like we see Simeon. Like we see Simeon. Like we see the old prophetess Anna. They set examples for us. They lived in the temple and all people knew them for what they were. Servants of God. That when they speak, they spoke the words of God. That when people saw them, they knew exactly who, who, who they were ambassadors of. The names of Simeon and Anna are written in everlasting scripture. Their names are written down in God's book for eternity. They are honored by God as servants of God. They did no miracles. They did no miracles that were told of. They just served the Lord faithfully. John the Baptist did no miracles. He served the Lord faithfully. But those who served the Lord, their names are written in Scripture. And sometimes, not even that. The shepherds, we don't know their names. But they're written in Scripture. They're written in Scripture as faithful loving servants of the Lord humble, meek, lowly shepherds what can we learn from this? Luke chapter 2 what can we learn from this? to seek the Lord while he may be found to die to self to give up ourselves to follow him not expect God to follow us we follow him we look for him where he may be found. Where is he found? He's with, he's with us by our side all times. Let us not forget that. Let us not leave him behind. And forget the wondrous glories that the Lord has done for us in time past. But to remember those things. To not let those scriptures, not let the remembrance of the Lord fade from our minds. Not let the things of the world distract us and dull us to, to the great power of the Lord. To just, just, to just think like Mary and Joseph are doing, just thinking and assuming that he's just with you in everything you're doing. No. Make sure. Make sure. Look for him. Have you strayed? Have you lost sight? Do you feel dead to these things? Have you forgotten? Are you like Joseph and Mary wandering all throughout the hill country looking for him? Has it been days weeks, months, years. Stop. Stop wandering. Just stop. Drop to your knees. Look up. Look up. He's right there. Just get yourself right with the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you. Call upon the Lord. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to help you now. He is the lifter up of mine head. He strengthens the feeble knees. He confirms the weak ankles. He lifts my hands. 
Praise the Lord. Let him put speech in your mouth and sing the praises of God. He is with you. He hasn't forgotten you. He promised. God promises and God cannot lie. He says, I will never leave you. We leave him. I will never forsake you. We forsake him. I am with you always. We're not always. Even to the end of the world. With us, hardly through a day. We do it. It's our fault. We're to blame. It's our fault. Our sin. Don't you dare blame him. Don't say, Lord, but you forsook me. You're not listening. You don't care. You're not being obedient, the Lord says. How is it that you sought me? You sought me errantly. You weren't following me. You weren't listening to me. You weren't adhering to what I was saying. Stop assuming. Stop presuming. Stop going by feelings and opinions and everything else. Turn to the Lord. Repent of your sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. He will come down and go with you. Just like Jesus did with Joseph and Mary. They came to Him. They, they approached the Lord, came to the Lord. They got it dealt with and Jesus went with them. Go to Him. And acknowledge the sin. Get it right. Listen, stop talking back to God. Stop talking back. You see, as soon as Mary said that, Jesus retorted, she shut up. When he speaks, he gets the last say. He gets the last say. Swallow your pride. Get it right with God. Acknowledge your sin. Repent of the rebellion, of the apathy, of the disregard, of everything else. And get it right with the Lord. Stop talking back and let Him have the last say. Let Him correct you. The Lord should be able to correct you without losing you as a follower. Let the Lord correct you. And the Lord will forgive you. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Hebrews 8, 12 and I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I will remember no more. And the Lord pushes it aside. He'll never bring it up again. Jesus never mentioned this, never brought it up again. The Lord forgives and forgets. We're the ones that drag up the past. But the Lord says, forgetting the things of the past. To live in the moment. Let today be the day of salvation. Get yourself right with the Lord. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Let, be, let today be the day you return to the temple, to God's temple. Stand before the throne of God. Drop to your knees. Get yourself right with the Lord. Remember how he has blessed you and helped you in time past. Let this be a day of remembrance, a day of blessing, a day of grace, a day of mercy, a day of repentance. Let the tears flow. Get yourself right with the Lord. And all of heaven rejoices. The Lord rejoices. The Father rejoices when he sees the prodigal return. He will run to you and embrace you. He will cleanse you. He puts on your finger the ring. He throws the party and all, all of heaven rejoices. Because you've returned. you stopped wandering. Let us be like this. Return. Remember. And praise the Lord. Luke chapter 2. So there you go, folks. That's Luke chapter 2. So if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, please go ahead, bring it up. Be glad to hear from you. And uh, 
And as well, if you appreciate these studies, please give this a like, give us a thumbs up, make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons, you know, we put up new videos and check out all our other playlists. We got tons of goodies. We got tons of stuff there uh, covering all span of different topics as well on our website, christiancoffeetime.ca. We get tons of links to all our other platforms, all their goodies there that redirect you as well. You can contact us through our website as well. So please make sure you check that out too. And as well, like I said before, this story, that the truth of Jesus Christ, of the Word of God, is, is this message is illegal. The world hates it. It hates Christ. If you're of the world, the world would love you. But since you've been called out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world loves its own. This truth of Christ, of his grace and his mercy, of who he is and what he is and what he's done, as written in the word of God, is hated by the world. We will be hated by the world. What makes you think that the, that you will be respected by the world that crucified your Savior? Don't expect the world to love you. Don't expect the world to respect you or to, or to treat you favorably. You have to be silent of Jesus for the world to like you. But we are called, like the shepherds, to go all, all over the place to preach the word of God, to bring the gospel, to declare Jesus, that Jesus has come. This is who Jesus is. So let us be faithful. Let us be like the shepherds. Let us go in rejoicing and in praising of the Lord. Let us not forget him. But let, but let us return to him and let him guide us. The Lord doesn't follow us. We follow the Lord. All right. Okay. Now, with this, um, if you have any other questions about this, let, let us know. You can contact us through our website and check out uh, the previous broadcasts on Luke on chapter 1 is part 1 and part 2 please make sure you check that out if you haven't seen it uh, uh, before and I guess we'll wrap that up there um, Nerland says anyone connection acting up my posts are being deleted uh, I don't see any of your posts being deleted no uh, all yours are all still here Nerland so I'm not sure I guess just your connections is acting up a little bit um, so we'll wrap that up there so thank you so much for joining in. God bless you folks. God bless all those who love our Lord God, Jesus Christ. God bless all those who love his holy word. Hope to see you again, folks. And as always, if I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless. <laughs>